Welcome to the We Have Issues podcast, a weekly look at the local issues and matters impacting Independence, Missouri. And now, your hosts, Lori Dean Wiley and Dan Hobart. Hey, Dan, and welcome to our uh, exciting podcast for the week. I always look forward to this. It's a good time. It is a good time. So today I want to do a little 4th of July special. Yay! You know, some of us have already celebrated over the weekend, um, but the actual date on Monday. So, you know, it made me think about memories as a kid for me when I think about gun ownership. And I remember going out as a kid, shooting guns off a fence post with the family BB gun. I think I was a pretty good shot, you know. Um, And surprisingly, I remember going to Worlds of Fun, and they had a target practice little game in the arcade. I was really good at that one. So, you know, I have some fun memories of shooting as a kid. Um, I have a great memory, one of the last memories with my dad before um, he was too sick to to really go out and do this but he he was a military man he um, was in Korea War and one year he just said I, I want a new gun and so he sought out the gun he wanted and one day uh, my brother and I drove up there and he was like we're gonna go out shooting and I had never I, I believe it was a Glock I had never shot a handgun like that Um, And so we went out to a state area and shot. And where my dad lived up north, it echoed for miles. And we got back to his house and his friends were like, you went out shooting, didn't you? Because they could hear it. Um, But that's one of my last memories, my dad. So, you know, I know that shooting can be fun. I know that going out to a range can be fun. But gun ownership is a huge responsibility and it's also a constitutional right. It's afforded to us. So what about you, Dan? What are some of maybe your own personal memories of target practice or gun ownership? <clears throat> well, I had, uh, growing up, I had an uncle that lived out in Oak Grove, outside of Oak Grove, and he had a pond and uh, just a little bit of property. and. We absolutely used to go out to Uncle Glenn's for Fourth of July and Memorial Day, and just a few weekends a year, homemade ice cream. I mean, it was spectacular. Uh, <clears throat> we actually shot bottle rockets out of glass pop bottles, you know, all that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and we had, but they, we would always have guns. People would bring guns out. My my other uncles and my grandpa and uh, set up, you know, cans or. Whatever he had a nice hill to shoot in into, so it was pretty good. So I've been I I probably shot a gun the very for the very first time when I was probably six or seven. Wow, that is pretty young. Yeah, uh, but did that also teach you responsibility at a very young age? Uh, you know, it was the responsibility was forced upon me because everybody was around doing it together. I I still as much. My grandpa grew up on a farm in Arkansas with this brother Glenn, and you know they shot deer for food. Uh, they'd been hunting since an early age, and had been around guns their whole life. My grandpa, ser- they both served in the army. Both 
World War II in Korea. And so they, they had had lots and lots and lots of experience in gun training. But safety, you know, we got taught safety along the way, uh, but I, not, not to the sense of I felt comfortable around guns, not scared of guns growing up and still to this day, but I didn't have real good training. Being able to hold a gun, point it somewhere, and pull the trigger is not a hard thing. This is a very simple thing. Doing it safely is not hard either, but it, it absolutely requires some attention and some training and some uh, muscle memory. <clears throat> so... You may have guessed today we want to take up the Second Amendment. We felt that this is a great topic to update for today, especially being Fourth of July weekend. So what is the Second Amendment? Well, it's a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It's a pretty simply worded amendment. It also makes it very clear. Um, and yet we require some updates because recently the Supreme Court ruled that the Constitution provides a right to carry a gun outside the home, issuing a major decision on the meaning of the Second Amendment. The 6-3 ruling was the court's second important decision on the right to keep and bear arms. So what did this really, really mean? The Supreme Court ruled that the Constitution provides a right to carry a gun outside the home, and this is a major decision on the meaning of it. The court's second important decision of right to keep and bear arms, because in 2008, the court, um, they decided on a person's right to possess firearms, but it was limited to keeping guns at home for self-defense. So let's start there. You're an attorney. What is self-defense? Can you explain that, Dan? In simple terms, it's you have the absolute right to defend yourself against bodily injury. You also have a right to defend another person against bodily injury. And you can use especially with most of the, many of the laws the states have passed, and certainly in Missouri, you have the right to use deadly force to defend yourself. In fact, in Missouri, you have the right to defend your, your property with deadly force <clears throat> in certain circumstances, so in the, in the sense of a home invasion. Do you have any idea on where that falls, self-defense, um, in the country? At, you know, like how many states have that similar law to Missouri? It's or? pretty significant. Uh, it's more, way more than half. Okay. I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's that 38 number, or possibly more even. Okay. Um, well, the ruling that they recently um, put out, the Supreme Court, uh, was specifically to New York. But let's go ahead and talk about it because I do think it applies the Second Amendment, uh, amendment beyond the limits of homeowners' property. Um, and it could affect other states' ability to impose a wider variety of firearm regulations. And I think that's why it's important. So Justice Clarence Thomas wrote that New York's law was problematic because it grants open-ended discretion to licensing officials 
and authorizes licenses only for those applicants who can show some special need to have that permit. So um, I've heard many, many stories, people um, on the gun control side, people on the right to bear arms side. And I think from a no-nonsense or common sense um, rule with the right to bear arms, it if you just look at that wording, it does look odd that some states have required special permits or special needs. Um, and in many cases, I think the numbers would bear it out that people looking to gain a permit in New York or some of those other uh, states that have this limit um, maybe have had some time delays in which maybe bodily harm did come to them. Maybe there was a real reason that they needed it. And so um, I, I like that they, re, they took another look at this. And so there's not one set of rules for some states and another set for others when it comes to a constitutional right. So James Madison, famously known for his quote, to disarm the people is the best and most effective way to enslave them. So based on the Supreme Court ruling then, and in light of James Madison's quote, was the New York law government overreach? <laughs> well, <clears throat> that's a good question. So, so the the thirty thousand foot view is that there are two schools of constitutional thought philosophy. One is the strict strict constructionist, which are constant. That's come become known as constitutionalist. And Clarence Thomas certainly holds himself out as that. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh does, Amy Comey, Comey Barrett. <clears throat> Those folks say that if the word does not appear in the Constitution, there it, it does not exist as a constitutional right. The other side of thought is, uh, is that the Constitution not only provides delineated rights, but some unenumerated rights which include privacy rights, which is the whole other side of the Tentative. gamut, including mm -hmm. Roe and other things. So <clears throat> the way that they've, the way that Clarence Thomas wrote the majority opinion, yes, they're absolutely right. Uh, the language that was problematic for the New York concealed carry permit was that you had to prove probable or proper cause exists. Proper cause exists. So a person in order to get a, a concealed carry permit in the state of New York would have to prove that they're under some special duress, danger, special situation that that necessitates their ability to protect themselves with a fire, a concealed firearm. In that sense, they're right because the Constitution strictly says this shall not be infringed. However, uh, they go through a significant historical review. Now, this is the other interesting part of the opinion to me, and it's very much that what were the laws at the time the amendments were passed. In other words, they intended the Constitution to be applicable for exactly that that period in time. Uh, 
And by that period in time, I don't mean like the 1700s or going back, that literally that time. So, and then they, it's fascinating because uh, they go through old state court cases or territorial court cases where folks, where they pass laws prohibiting gun use or gun possession. And ultimately, it, it's interesting because what they decided was that law-abiding citizens have a right to have a concealed weapon for self-defense. So, uh, and I don't have the direct quote from Justice Kavanaugh. He wrote a concurring opinion, but he specifically stated that criminal and mental health records, you can still check the criminal and mental health records of a gun license applicant. You can still take their fingerprints and requiring firearms training are all constitutional. So in other words, they've allowed, they've said historically, a law-abiding citizen has a right to have a concealed weapon for self-defense. And then the, and then Kavanaugh went on to sort of further define what law-abiding citizen is, and that is somebody that passes a criminal mental health check, takes their fingerprints, and has to complete training. Some people, you could even argue that that infringes on the this absolute blanket right to bear arms. I, I was surprised that that was a part of the opinion and pleasantly surprised personally. Well, so the New York law started by gun owners suing because they saw the requirement to prove they needed a gun um, changed the Second Amendment and the gun owner's opinion to a privilege, not a constitutional right. And permits were only to applicants who demonstrated uh, some special need, and now we know in the ruling or met some qualifications of being good gun owners. Law-abiding Law-abiding. Um, however, we often hear the argument against gun rights um, that it's really only lobbies or the NRA pushing that. They're really the ones behind it. And I honestly was struck that these were actual citizens gun owners who took this suit forward. Now, they could be members of the NRA. Um, but in this judgment, do you think it's different on the merits by the citizens of New York who sued versus the lobby or is there any difference? Is there any difference between the lobbyists and the... So the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association is who brought the case. Okay. They're a longstanding gun uh, proponent organization. They're, they're a much, much lesser known NRA. Okay. So, so NRA was involved. I just I, like knowing uh, that because you hear lobbyists, you hear corporations, you hear other groups, and you wonder, you know, I, I want to support majority of citizens' rights. You know, if, if there's a majority opinion, I want to support that, knowing that comes from citizens, not from, shall I say it, you know, dollars from these special interest groups. And so I just wondered if this one, the way it sounded was a little different in how they got there. And I just was wondering that. I don't know the specifics on this gun, this uh, pro-gun group that ultimately has been successful. They're not as big as the NRA. They're not as big a deal as the NRA. They certainly don't have the money or the political connections or ties, but they certainly have some 
mojo in New York. Uh, and, and I would say it's much more of a grassroots gun advocacy than the NRA. I'm not banging on the NRA. Yeah. Or, or gun rights groups. There should be groups that support your opinion. I'm, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's American. That is America. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 yeah the NRA is a, a prickly topic. <laughs> so probably, uh, you know, do I think that the majority of Americans does this does this opinion represent the majority belief of Americans? Probably, yes, it probably does. There are probably close to a majority or somewhere in the vicinity of a majority that would like some more, uh, some stricter controls, uh, age limitations, style of weapon, that kind of thing. Uh, This doesn't necessarily rule that out. So we'll see. Uh, For now, we've got this and we'll see how it goes. Well, and I do think uh, Justin Clarence Thomas also came out and said, that they know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only after demonstrating something. So it was just problematic because there was something else added to it in in New York. Um, in the ruling most far-reaching language, um, the concurring opinion also shared a concern for public that public safety wasn't enough to justify gun control laws. I was even a little awestruck at that, was that in the ruling's most far-reaching language that public safety was not enough to look at that law differently or create um, a gun control similar to what New York had done. Like, because I know that that was most likely their thought process was anything we could do to keep guns in more law-abiding citizens' hands. Um, but anytime you infringe upon someone not being able to have their right to bear arms, then I think that was where it was really far-reaching. So the government must affirmatively prove that its firearm regulation is part, and I think this goes back to what you were saying, of the historical tradition that delimits the outer bounds of their right to keep and bear arms. So you were saying earlier that there is a piece of almost every constitutional law that is also seen through a historical lens. Is that? That's how they've decided to interpret the Constitution. Okay. Now, traditionally, that has been a factor in constitutional decisions, uh, Bill of Rights decisions, but they are taking a very strict, literal version of it. The part of that that's scary is that what he, what Justice Thomas is saying is that we now are going to live in the society of 1791. That doesn't sound all that appealing uh, for some of us. Uh, some people, they don't know that it would matter. Frankly... Maybe it won't. We're still here. We still have the internet. We have cars, planes, fax machines. Who knows? You know, I, but it's hard to tell. I mean, it's hard to say. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Well, experts on gun laws said that part of the ruling sets a very high bar for future gun restrictions. 
Yet this decision came, as we know, Congress advancing the most significant gun violence prevention legislation in almost 30 years. So some of the things you mentioned earlier, and that was in Kavanaugh's concurring opinion, was fingerprinting, background checks, mental health record checks, uh, raising the age to buy a semi-automatic weapon from 18 to 21, and then probably the most controversial piece, the red flag laws. So is it likely that these restrictions will also go before the, a Supreme Court ruling as un, unconstitutional? Eventually, yes. This is broad enough and bold enough that they won't. I would be surprised if they do these little individual pieces in the next year or two. If something's brash enough, then I'm sure they'll take it up. But this is this is a landmark ruling, so typically those stand on their own for a bit. Well, I like covering issues that relate to us. So um, New York is not the only state that had this special open-ended discretion for licensing. And all states allow carrying concealed guns in public, although many require state-issued permits. The decision in New York cast doubt on laws similar to that state that also are in California, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, and New Jersey, as well as the District of Columbia. This provides local officials with more discretion to deny requests. So what's up with Missouri gun laws? So in Missouri, following the Texas tragedy, many are again asking about gun laws in their own home states. So currently in the state of Missouri, regulations are, in a word, most will say lax. So, yes? Well, let's do, let's do a demonstration, shall we? Okay. What? Okay. So, there you go. Handgun. Okay. It's a Glock 23. Okay. I had, I had a, it's empty. I, I Not one in the chamber. I intentionally unloaded it. Okay. Don't point it at anybody. Nope, I and would never. And don't pull a trigger. I would never. <clears throat> so, you know, in Missouri, you get to carry a gun if you want. I had a can carry, carry and concealed weapon permit. Uh, I had had it when it first came out. My mom and I both went and got ours. And then, see, you pointed it at me right there. See that? Just by sitting it on the table. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So this, that right there yep. um, is a perfect demonstration for folks that aren't home. I handed her uh, the chambers, lock, the slides locked open and handed her my gun. When she said it, when Lori Dean set it back down on the table, she pointed it at me without even thinking about it. This is why training is so very crucial. <laughs> Muzzle discipline, trigger discipline. I took a four-day handgun class. It was pretty intense. Many of my friends have taken. It's really good. And you learn some of that. Mm -hmm. You learn even how to draw from a holster or draw from your side or pocket without pointing it at somebody. You literally only ever point the barrel at someone you intend or are prepared to shoot. So, uh, and that's primarily why I brought it because I was curious. You know, yeah. you feel comfortable with guns. 
I do. You've shot them before. Yes. You when I pulled it out, you reach for it like, oh, I want to touch the gun, <laughs> which is awesome. I'm, I was but in a little where, confined space of rolling it past me, so I was just trying to set it down. So yes. Oh no. Yeah. I understand, and I'm no. not picking on you. Oh, I, I, at all. I'm fine to be picked on. No, I no. Got broad shoulders. Not picking you on. I've done the same thing. Yes. So this is this is common. Uh, you'll find among law enforcement or folks that carry guns regularly that they they are highly sensitive to those safety. issues, those safety issues. Yeah, uh, they will continue to be on high alert now, even more than normal, because now you have to assume that every single person has a gun. Consult. Has a gun now. A lot of law enforcement training has been doing that already. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. It won't. It won't necessarily change it completely, but there will be some additional uh, consideration for that. I think going forward. Well, let's, I'm going to give just a brief little history on Missouri law. So back in 2007, the state repealed legislation that required background checks when purchasing handguns. In 2016, the General Assembly reversed another law allowing open carry, meaning permits. No longer became allowed. So as you just said, you used to always get your permit, yep. but a permit's not required now. Yep. So Missouri also doesn't have a minimum age requirement in which to buy a firearm. That might be a little shocking to some folks. Um, Missouri's Missourians at any age can open carry, but under federal law, a person must be 21 to purchase a handgun and 18 to buy a rifle. So there's very specific what gun you can buy at a certain age, but overall, buying a gun, concealing a gun in the state of Missouri is easy. Actually, and and on top of that, the the bigger, more open-ended gun right in Missouri is that you can do personal sales of firearms. So not all through a vendor. Correct. Yeah. And. The person selling the gun has the responsibility mm-hmm. that a that a gun vendor would, but not really. So it doesn't have to be documented. They don't have to have paper. They don't have to do a background check. They they aren't supposed to sell them to folks that aren't legally allowed to possess them. But well, so under federal Youth Handgun Safety Act, anyone under 18 is prohibited from owning a handgun except in limited circumstances. Local government can limit where firearms are allowed. The state also doesn't require background checks, but if a gun is purchased at a dealer, then the federal law does kick in, as you were just uh, saying, and does require one. So. If Kansas had really strict gun laws, Missouri has lax laws, I'm just doing a comparison, then what is the limitation of something going across that state line and purchasing guns coming into Missouri and purchasing gun versus Kansas where they could be stricter? So long as you're not subject to federal law, which, which can regulate interstate commerce or transactions that take place effectively in two states or across state lines or interstate interstate travel is involved in the transaction somehow if you're a regular person whatever state you drive to you are now subject to that state's laws period it's illegal to smoke marijuana use marijuana can't use cannabis recreationally in Missouri that's right 
You want to head over to Colorado for the weekend? Go crazy. It's legal. You're there. It's legal. But you can't buy it and bring it back to Missouri. You can correct. Well, correct. Of course, that's only if you get caught. And correct. It's only, and it's only possession. Well, I'm saying, but yes, yes, yes. It doesn't make it legal because you bought it in a legal state and then came back. So Governor Parson has been quoted as saying that to prevent tragedies like the one in Texas, judges and prosecutors need to be a part of the solution. I think this was in reference to keeping violent criminals locked up. Yet when it comes to selling firearms in Missouri, there are no regulations. So in fact, Governor Parson signed the Second Amendment Preservation Act into law, which bars police officers from enforcing federal gun laws. And if they do, they could be fined. So dozens of agencies, including 60 police chiefs, spoke out in opposition of this law, saying it interferes with federal partners. A Republican, um, U.S. Senator Josh Hawley, said last, last week that it's about communication. So um, judges and prosecutors being a part of the solution. Um, Josh Hawley saying it's about better communication with law enforcement. So when one branch of law enforcement, the FBI, for instance, might know local law enforcement, know something that they don't, that local law enforcement doesn't. Um, Hawley's thought is that the perpetrator or the shooter often post things on their social media. There's often a bit of a trail, but it's really hard for local law enforcement to monitor that or to find that unless somebody's really looking at it, which the FBI, we know, that is one of the things that they do. So can better communication between law enforcement prosecutors and just communication altogether about social media, can that really be a part of slowing, stopping mass shootings? In my opinion, no. That's a, that's a straw man argument. He clearly has never worked in law enforcement or the justice system. That's it. That that shows some ignorance because, in order to in order to to prevent a mass shooting, some law enforcement officer has to be aware that there's a possibility of one. And guess what? The U.S. is not big on causing people problems before something happens. We're not big on preventative medicine. We're not big on preventative gun laws. The, these are that's you're describing a red flag law. Right. In itself. And. So can we get there or should we get there? We should do our best to get there. That there, There's no excuse that we shouldn't do everything that's legal to prevent a mass shooting, to identify folks that are mentally ill the best that we can to attempt to stop a shooting. So it's really the speak up. If you see something, say something. It is. It's going to, unless social media, Facebook, Instagram, unless they find a way to identify these folks and then provide that information instantly to law enforcement who are prepared to instantly respond, no, prevention is going to be extremely... the, the old saying, you know, you can't stop a motivated man. And you can't. 
there's I think most would agree there's been far too many mass shootings, far too many unintended deaths. Um, and in my viewpoint, it, I believe there are legal gun owners, there are responsible gun owners. It really does come down to the responsibility of whose hands the guns are in. Um, Missouri happens to be a very lax state. I get it. I mean, this is a part of our fiber. If you go back to the fighting days of the Civil War, if you, you know, just go back to uh, whose territory is whose, I mean, it's a huge part of our uh, history. I don't think that history trumps the ability for people to get better at being gun owners, you know. So we can learn to be more safety conscious. We can learn to observe things. We can learn to speak up when we need to um, and not just rely on the FBI or, or social media or law enforcement to do something magical that will make this go away because that's, that's not realistic. Um, but I also want people to be able to go hunt. I want people to be able to go target practice. I want you as a six-year-old when you had great family times going out and shooting. And um, we just need to keep um, guns more owned by more responsible owners. Uh, law-abiding citizens, I think, the, the Supreme Court ruling. So, well, the 4th of July is tomorrow. And I remember as a kid enjoying picnics and fireworks and celebrating our nationhood. That's really what 4th of July was about. I remember the fun of target practice, and I enjoy it today. But I want to remind folks that there are times when a bullet doesn't leave a gun for fun. As we hear the sounds of firecrackers, I want to ask gun owners to not shoot off celebratory gunfire. Missouri is out of session, but I'd like to mention an important law that has been introduced two years in a row at the Missouri Assembly and unfortunately has failed to get passed for multiple reasons. There's a good strong support, but House Bill 19, or excuse me, House Bill 1696, which was Blair's Law. And so we are gonna go for that another time. Um, this new session, so 22-23 session, and it's less legislation that prohibits celebratory gunfire. And the reason it's called Blair's Law is in honor of the beautiful 11-year-old daughter of my friend, Michelle DeMoss, who was tragically killed by a stray bullet celebrating on the 4th of July. Those uh, men that were celebrating a long distance away from where that bullet ended up. And I think you said earlier, if a bullet shot you know, goes up, it must come down. And tragically, celebratory gunfire comes down and can take life. Um, and so I just ask that you, um, as listeners, that you reach out to uh, whoever your state rep is and let them know that you're in support of Blair's Law. Uh, it's a common sense law. It is not a law of gun control. And I think there is a difference. So um, if you'd like more information about it, go to Blair's Law. Um, or you could probably reach out to Tom here at the chamber or myself, as it is something that, that has always 
already been supported by um, the chamber policy uh, group. So we can keep and support the right to bear arms. Um, we just want to also keep it a very happy 4th of July. So, um, so you know, I think that was a great uh, conversation about the gun law change. It really does only affect New York at this point. It now will trickle down, but Missouri's already been a state that has taken a lot, well, all of the parameters off. And so, uh, you know, that next step is going to be more responsible gun ownership and um, looking at the fingerprinting and the background checks, um, potentially red flag laws. So there's an opportunity here to not infringe on our right to bear arms, um, but keep more citizens safe. I, I personally would just would love to see training. Training, 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 training. Almost like a driver's license requirement for having yeah. a car, have a gun training requirement to have yeah. a gun. I, I would absolutely love to see that. All right. Well, we need to get that up to our legislators, right? Yeah, we do. All right. Well, this is another uh, podcast of We Have Issues. We appreciate you listening and have a happy and safe 4th of July. We want to thank you for joining us. I'm Laurie Dean Wiley. And I'm Dan Hobart. Join us again next week because we have issues. Ha, ha, ha.